Well, it's actually great to be in church. Darlene and I have been sort of knocked over by COVID over the last few weeks and for the first time as far as I can ever remember um, we didn't get a chance to make it to Easter services um, which was a shame so we watched ourselves online and um, and I was amazing and, and and I loved it and it was awesome um, but it's so much better to actually be in the building with you and to um, hear your voices and to um, smell your perfume and um, to be together. Amen? Who loves being together? Yeah, yeah, that's why you're here. I know that. Fantastic. Well, today we're kicking off a new series um, around the story and the legacy of Moses. As we I suppose, run into our legacy window every year around the month of June. We're talking about the legacy of Moses. So if you've got your Bibles together, who brought a Bible? Um, We love and celebrate people bringing the Bible. No one on the balcony brought a Bible. Come on, come on. Um, I know, I see two hands up there. That's fantastic. Yes, I see the word. Um, It's part of my job um, to actually do an audit and make sure that... um, Christians are bringing their Bibles to church. Um, Very good. If you've got a phone, that's okay, but it's not the same thing. It's not the same thing. Um, So please turn to the book of Exodus as we look into um, the life of Moses. Um, There's a saying about legacy. It says that legacy is not what I did for myself. It's actually what I did for the next generation. And when you think about the life of Moses, that's a very interesting topic. To think about the struggles that he had personally, yet the irony is that he lived his life to actually build not only the next generation, but actually the nation of Israel um, and how he um, set them up to enter the so-called land of promise, the land of milk and honey. I mean, many people know Moses for a couple of things. They think about the fact that he led millions of people out of slavery, out of Egypt, through a desert for 40 years and right to the border of the Promised Land, at which point he handed the baton to Joshua, as we know, and then Joshua led that nation into the place that they still are this day. I mean, Moses was the guy who climbed the mountain and actually received the Ten Commandments that were written by God's own finger in the stone and became the tablet and the Ten Commandments that we know today. Moses was the guy that uh, turned to the burning bush and met with and spoke with God directly and God spoke to him. Moses was the guy that we know actually wrote, um, as the Jewish people uh, celebrate, the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament. I mean, Moses is a guy worth looking at the legacy of his life. But Moses um, started, as we'll read, um, in a very tumultuous time. If you remember the context of Moses' um, life, 350 years approximately before Moses was born was the story about Joseph. And Joseph was the guy who um, brothers put him in the pit, if you remember. He ended up in the prison and he ended up after that in the palace. And actually so much so that the Pharaoh gave him a second in command of the whole nation 
And because of a dream that Joseph received, he rescued that nation from poverty and recession, um, from drought, and not only saved a nation, but saved the nations that were around them. So fast forward from that moment, 350 years later, and we're going to read from Exodus chapter 1, from verse 6. And let me read to you this morning. It says, In time, Joseph and all his brothers died, ending the entire generation. But their descendants, the Israelites, had many children and grandchildren. In fact, they multiplied so greatly they became extremely powerful and filled the land. Eventually, a new king came to power in Egypt who knew nothing about Joseph or what he, did, what he had done. He said to his people, look, the people of Israel now outnumber us and are stronger than we are. We must make a plan to keep them from growing even more. If we don't, and if war breaks out, they will join our enemies and fight us, fight against us. Then they will escape from the country. I mean, the people of Israel have been oppressed since the forming of that nation. And here we are talking about them again. And often in the media, you hear about the oppression of Israel. And so again, it, this is an, a, a, a story that goes through the ages. In that situation, they were made to work hard labour for the Egyptians. They were actually technically in slavery. They were forced to build cities and work for the king's people. I mean, so much so that those two different cultures, those two different nations actually grew resentful of each other. And we still see that today, right? But see, for some reason though, that idea of having Israel um, working as slaves still wasn't enough for the Egyptians. The fear of an uprising was still present. They felt that fear. And the king called all the midwives to kill all of the baby Jewish boys that were born. Again, let me read to you Exodus chapter 1, starting in verse 16. It says that when you help the Hebrew women as they give birth, watch as they deliver. If the baby is a boy, kill him. If it is a girl, let her live. But because the midwives feared God, they refused to obey the king's orders. They allowed the boys to live too. So the king of Egypt called for the midwives. Why have you done this? He demanded. Why have you allowed the boys to live? The Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women, the midwives replied. They are more vigorous and have their babies so quickly that we cannot get there in time. So God was good to the midwives. And the Israelites continued to multiply, growing more and more powerful. But because the midwives feared God, he gave them families of their own. Then Pharaoh gave this order to all of his people. Throw every newborn Hebrew boy into the Nile River, but you may let the girls live. The people of Israel, stating the obvious, were oppressed, right? That's very clear. Yet they were under enormous pressure and yet God still 
bless them. God still raised those people up. It pushed the king so much so that his animosity towards them, which um, technically the only reason that he had towards them, that they were successful in growing the population, that he decided to actually aggressively go after those newborn boys. In this moment in history, in this pain, in this suffering, in this oppression, in this uh, uh, genocide culture that was going on in, in Egypt of the time, Moses enters the story. I mean, talk about what could not be um, so more opposite in terms of a guy who leads a nation and leads them into legacy was born in this time, in this moment where it was hugely oppressed. So again, we, we must consider our own lives, our own situations, our own opportunities and, and, and again, don't excuse our lives down or away because we don't have the right circumstances or the right times or the right environment or the right economy or the right government in power and go, God's bigger than all of that. So imagine your starting point. Slavery, hard labour, no prospects, no handouts. And in the natural, you could say about Moses, you could say he has no future and absolutely no hope. Let's continue to read on in Exodus chapter 2, verse 1. About this time, a man and a woman from the tribe of Levi got married The woman became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She saw that he was a special baby and kept him hidden for three months. But when she could no longer hide him, she got a basket made of papyrus reeds and waterproofed it with tar and pitch. She put the baby in the basket and laid it among the reeds along the bank of the River Nile. The baby's sister then stood at a distance watching to see what would happen to him. Soon Pharaoh's daughter came down to bathe in the river and her attendants walked along the riverbank. When the princess saw the basket among the reeds, she sent her maid to get it for her. When the princess opened it, she saw the baby. The little boy was crying and she felt sorry for him. This must be one of the Hebrew children, she said. Then the baby's sister approached the princess. Should I go and find one of the Hebrew women to nurse The baby for you, she asked. Yes, do, the princess replied. So the girl went and called the baby's mother. Take this baby and nurse him for me, the princess told the baby's mother. I will pay you for your help. So the woman took her baby home and nursed him. Later when the boy was older, his mother brought him back to Pharaoh's daughter who adopted him as her own son. The princess named him Moses and she explained, I lifted him out of the water. Ironically, Moses was raised by his natural mother who, as the scriptures say, that um, she was paid to do that by the government of the day. 
and yet he, um, he was adopted into royalty. It's not unlike our own Christian walk of today. No matter how you were raised as believers, we are all adopted into God's royal family. You are priests inside that royal family. So no matter how or whether you were left in the side of a river, today you can say, actually, I am a prince or a princess in God's royal family. Amen? That is who you are, which means that all of us, no matter what our physical uh, story is to date, that you can enjoy the benefits of being adopted. And we're going to talk about that in a minute. Later in these verses, from verse 11, it says, Many years later, when Moses had grown up, he went out to visit his own people, the Hebrews. And he saw how hard they were forced to work during his visit. He saw an Egyptian beating one of his fellow Hebrews. After looking in all directions to make sure no one was watching, Moses killed the Egyptian and hid the body in the sand. The next day when Moses went out to visit his people again, he saw two Hebrew men fighting. Why are you beating up your friend, Moses said to the one who had started the fight. The man replied, who appointed you to be our prince and judge? Interesting, just pause here for a moment. That that was the question or the challenge brought forward to Moses as he was so-called Pharaoh's son, that the Hebrews were challenging his leadership and his authority. We'll read later on in the weeks that to come that again, when God calls him out and says, you're the man to lead the people of Israel, he says to God, who am I? Who am I to lead? It's an echo of this statement right here. And it takes God's um, force on him to readjust this answer to this question. The man replied, who appointed you to be our prince and judge? Are you going to kill me as you killed that Egyptian yesterday? Then Moses was afraid, thinking everyone knows what I did. And sure enough, Pharaoh heard what had happened. And he tried to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in the land of Midian. When Moses arrived in Midian, he sat down beside a well. What a great start for a legacy leader. Not. The fact that he ends up in the desert, in the back desert the Bible talks about, and here he is sitting down as a leader um, beside a well, you get the sense that he understands the enormity of what he has done and that he's probably short-circuited, if not short-circuited, definitely ended any prospects Coming, growing up in that so-called royal family about what his leadership destiny could be like. No wonder he sits down in the desert beside a well thinking all opportunity is lost. But in that season, while Moses is in the desert, think about it, he finds a wife, he has a family, Yet at the same time, he's still struggling with his purpose and identity and probably his upbringing. Imagine how many times he would have put his 
head on the pillow and thought, I should not have killed that guy. I should have not hidden that sin. I actually wish that that moment had never come forward. And it takes God a whole season of Moses in the desert to rewire him about stop living in regret. There's still a plan and a purpose and a destiny for you ahead. But it takes a desert experience to actually learn where to place regret. There's a life lesson for you right there. You can live in regret or you can place regret. We've all got them one way or another. I regret not buying that block of land on the beach 50 odd years ago. I would have only been eight years old, but that's a a different story. But how many other more Ugly regrets do people carry around. I wish I'd never. And again, uh, can my encouragement to you today, 2022, don't live in the land of regret. Live in the land of hope. Live in the land of prospect. Live in the land of a future. And we'll discover how Moses does that. I mean, you could say that um, that, that God needed to put, put Moses in that space so that he could actually use him and, and propel him into all that he had planned for him. I mean, Moses' only focus at the time was to disappear from all that he knows. See, when incidences happen, when people go hiding, they're usually hiding from something. You don't hide from nothing. You hide from something, right? Which rather than saying, I'm going to confront the something, I'm going to call it for what it is. And in God's beautiful economy, regret is just regret. In those things, God's much more interested in your future than your history. I love how Morris spoke about um, communion this morning to talk about forgiveness is the starting point to righteousness. It's the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. If you want to live a life of destiny, if you want to live a life of purpose, don't bring regret into your journey. Just bring forgiveness as the starting point. Number one, forgive the people around you for sure. That's a very powerful thing to do. But can I also say, why don't you forgive yourself? Why don't you actually say, you know, self, I am forgiven. That's what the Bible says. And I'm now going to live in my purpose rather than living in the land of regret. So I've got three themes. That was my introduction. Um, You thought I was already up to point two. Um, But my introduction, I've got three things I want to talk to you about. Moses and how the pattern of his life can encourage us in our own lives. One, simply he was abandoned. Two, he was adopted. And three, Moses learnt that his life, even because of those two, he was still advantaged. So, the story of abandonment. I mean, in the so-called best moments of Moses' life, 
Simply put, in the Aussie vernacular, he stuffs things up. I mean, maybe you have not been physically put in a reed basket and drifting down the river to see what the cosmic uh, circle of life might have offered you, but that's what Moses was living in, right? I mean, I mean, arguably, Moses was probably born um, in, in the worst times of human history. I mean, his very life at the age of three months was clearly defined. He was going to die. He didn't do anything. He didn't say anything. And there was nothing about him other than his gender and, and his ethnicity, if that's the right word, um, uh, I was close. Thank you, Denise. I appreciate that. Thank you for the encouragement. I won't even try to say it again, but you know exactly what I mean, is that because of his race, he, he, he was under the pressure to die at three months of age. He didn't get, really get much of a breath to actually make a difference on planet Earth. And you would say that Moses lived in a world of abandonment. His mother put him in a basket and sent him down the river on the hope that something good might happen. Fortunately, God intervened and actually joined Moses, the dots of Moses' life. He actually was raised still by his birth mother and also was adopted into another family. Moses had two families in a sense. See, it can be difficult to hear, but we, you and me, were also born into sin. Simply, sin is being separated from God. I mean, there's just no way by our own efforts your efforts and my efforts, that we can be back in God's favour. In some ways, you could actually use the same context to say that we also have been abandoned. Remember, God banished Adam and Eve from the luxury of God's presence. You know, in life's events that everybody has one way or another, there's many contributing Factors to feelings of rejection. There can be broken families. There can be work pressures. There can be mental uh, health issues, physical health issues, and of course abandonment. But typically sin adds to that pressure. I mean the world's solution to happiness and to success is to actually promote this idea of being connected. There's more social media connection points and Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and all of these things. This is the so-called portrayal about if you just get more connected, you'll be more happy and you'll be so-called more successful. Yet the records show, the studies show, the science shows that in history we've never had more connection points, yet loneliness is at its highest rating ever. There's a sense that in society, again, with all of the different issues that are getting promoted and promoted and promoted, that there's this sense that, that society has abandoned people. And this feeling of, of despair is increasing. 
Abandonment has effects. I, I just I want to help you understand that this is just not a term or, or a cause. You go, well, I don't feel abandoned. But imagine if you abandoned a house. What would happen to it? The, the grass grows up. The weeds come up. The, 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 the house goes into disrepair. Maybe the windows might break and maybe all the environment around it starts to deteriorate that house. In some cases, so much so that you can't even see that there is a house anymore because it was long-term abandoned. A car on the side of the road you can see abandoned, that all of a sudden things go missing on the cars. It ends up on, on blocks and, and the wheels go missing and the windows get smashed and there's just a sense of actually deterioration significant to that things, to two things that get abandoned. So the goal in life, I believe, God's design of life is not for us to be abandoned. It's the same thing emotionally about abandonment. It's the same things uh, relationally about abandonment, that you actually need to do things to bring them into their purpose. You can't just leave a relationship on the, on the shelf and expect it to get better. Actually, quite the opposite. If you abandon a relationship, it will deteriorate. It's the same about your own physical body. If you abandon the regime, if you just let yourself go, emotionally, the same thing. If you just allow anything to come into that head of yours, then the natural forces will have that way. You've got to look after things. You've got to look after your relationships. You've got to look after your property. You've got to look after your mental health. You've got to look after your physical health. All of these things are designed for a purpose. See, when you use something, when you actually use a piece of machinery or a, or a house or a car, sure, there's some maintenance issues, but they don't fall into deterioration. The longer you leave a car or a boat or something that's got an engine in it and don't use that thing, the more chance it will break down. So there's some spiritual sense, some, some idea of common sense about that prayer that says, God, use me. Because if, if I'm not being used, what's the opposite to that? And yet some people are so afraid about that prayer. They go, well, you know, the last time I got used, it hurt. The last time I got used, I got worn out. The last time I got used, something happened. But I'm telling you that, sure, we can all learn lessons and we've got to put boundaries and all of these things. But that's God's design for things. To use a car, to use a piece of machinery, to use us for His purposes. The Bible says it's not good for a man to be alone. Otherwise, we'll deteriorate. So there's a way, there's a way out of feeling abandoned today. And that's by committing yourself into relationship with Jesus Christ. By committing yourself, if you're already a believer, into the community of faith. 
into a life group, all of these things, and allow yourself to be adjusted by them. My second point is adoption. See, adoption means you are chosen by love, not by blood. Adoption always starts with the parent's initiative. It's not the child's idea to be adopted. And Moses was given a chance, not through effort, not through fighting for himself to be adopted in. I mean, the writer of Ephesians, that letter, 1 Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5 says, God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do and it gave him good pleasure. See, in the natural sense, um, you, you, people aren't adopted on the basis of their worth or their background. Adoption is always focused on the basis of the future about what this family could be, about releasing the potential of that adopted child, not based on their past. God hasn't adopted you based on what you've done or what you're even capable of. It was a decision made by Him to adopt you into His royal family prior to your plans. It was His will to adopt us. Not my will, not my design, my idea. See, because by my own efforts, I can't get close to God. But because He designed this adoption process, I can now, you can now, become friends with God. And whenever you're inside a family, usually at some point, there's a conversation about a will and about a testimony. I mean, you know the joke, wherever there's a will, there's always a relative. But God's got a special inheritance for you. He's got a special inheritance for people who are adopted. I mean, that idea of an inheritance, I mean, you might be saying to me, well, I don't feel very rich. Well, let me just help you rephrase the assets that you have. I mean, you, you have an inheritance where, um, uh, you know, that, that God is fighting for you. That you've got an inheritance where the Bible says that, that He's got good plans for you. That He's been thinking about those plans even before the day that you were born. So you, if you ever end up in the lawyer's office and they're talking about some sort of inheritance, they normally pull out the will. And in that will, there might be a whole list of assets that might be given to you or, or, or some sort of uh, benefits that are given to you. But that, those are just words on a piece of paper. You might even be, in that sense, be given a, a, a house, for example, a, 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 in terms of an inheritance. Well, the piece of paper might say you have a house, but you've got to go and take the keys and go and open the front door to that house before it feels like your house before you live in that house. And so here are words written on a piece of paper about your inheritance, but you've got to get the keys and pull those things out and put them in. That's your job. The, the inheritance has already been written, but you've got to now access that inheritance into your own world. My last point is that Moses was advantaged. I mean, when you think about that word advantage or even to some degree entitlement, 
they sometimes generate negative words. And look, in some contexts, that's right. But in Moses' context, just like for you and me today, Moses was advantaged because of his relationship with God. I mean, just think about it this way. If you had to somehow transport the whole Moses story and put it into 2022, when he got picked up in that basket and that princess says, wow, here's a crying baby. It was like Moses won lotto, right? At that point, all of his pain points, all of his pressures, all of his stress points all simply disappeared because he didn't have to worry about where his meal was going to come from. He didn't have to worry about going to a job site every day. He didn't have to worry about what bills might come in the mail. Everything was taken care of and yet he was still a Jew. And in one incident, one moment, he threw it all away. But thank God, God didn't measure him on that moment and God looked at him in the desert and said, you're my man. You're my man. In his weakest, lowest point, God picked him up and said, you're the man. I mean, in a natural sense, we would go, well, you look at Pharaoh's house, you look at who's the most educated, who's the best fed, who's the most healthiest, and you'd say, that should be the guy. That should be the woman that's going to lead the nation of Israel out of Egypt and into the promised land. But no, Moses, God found Moses in the backside of the desert, sulking away, regretting all the bad things that he'd done. And yet God says, put regret behind and come and live the future that I've got penciled for you. See, the reality is your advantaged life, let me just point out a couple of things for you. When you feel sick, God is the healer. When you feel scared, God is the comforter. When you feel lost, God is the way maker. When you draw near to God, He draw near to you. You have access, you are entitled, you are advantaged to live a overcoming life on planet earth. Because of your inheritance, because you are adopted into His family, God has big things for you and it's an unfair advantage in this life that you have. But can you defend that advantage? Can you... Can you say, yes, I am a man of God. I am a woman of God. This week I challenged our, our team. Do you know the Word in a way that you can defend your faith? Do you know the Word that you could defend your way of living? See, I could defend the Central Coast Mariners. I could tell you all the right decisions the coach made. I could tell you all the wrong decisions the coach made. I could tell you who, which players are performing well and which players are performing well. Just ask me and I'll spend two hours telling you all about it. But can you do that to your faith? Can you do that to your positioning in the royal family of God? Can you actually articulate and defend 
and explain who you are as a son and daughter of God? What a great challenge for all of us to understand better who we are. See, integrity, simply described, is when your beliefs align with your actions. When your beliefs align with your actions. So don't put yourself down. Don't expect bad things to happen to you. You are ambassadors of hope. You are in God's army. You are a son and daughter of the King. You have a guarantee of eternal life, fellowship with God and the angels because you are a follower of Jesus Christ. Those are the things that we need to focus in, not our land of regrets, not of the mistakes that we have made, but what God's going to do through me and around me. Amen. Amen. So, so looking forward. Amen. Good on you, brother. Amen. So the next few weeks, we're going to spend going deeper and deeper into Moses' life. And I'd ask that you'd think about how you continue to dive in and dig in. Maybe in your own reading this week that you spend time reading Exodus chapter 1, Exodus chapter 2, and really understand deeply what God has done through the life of, man, of Moses the man. Amen. Why don't you stand with me this morning? Thanks, worship team. If you could come, that'd be great. In a message like this, it'd be terrible not to think about people and speak to people who, for whatever reason, feel abandoned this morning. And to not offer you a way out of that abandonment feeling. To say to you that you can be adopted into the family of God. Obviously, it takes uh, no effort on your own. This is a work that Jesus Christ has done on the cross that we spoke about earlier in the service. If you accept God's offer of family, if you accept His offer of adoption, then you will receive an inheritance. And part of that inheritance, a part of it, is eternal life, eternal life with God. And it'll also take you into your God-given potential. I mean, Moses ran away from the feelings and from the situation that made him feel shame. He was abandoned as a child. He killed someone. And in spite of that, God still offered him inheritance, still offered him an incredible life. So no matter where you've been, what you've done, whatever the story is so far, you can be adopted into God's family. I mean, uh, Romans chapter 10 just simply says, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you will be adopted in. It's a simple, simple step. I mean, you're going to have to surrender your ways. You're going to have to turn from living life for yourself to become a life that's living for God. You're going to have to become a follower of Jesus, sure. But why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you want to run away from living lives of regret in the backside of the desert to now be part of a big family? A big family that can actually help you access all that God 
wants and desires for you. Can I ask that everyone in this building would just simply uh, close their eyes and and maybe bow your head in this moment because I want to ask you this morning directly, everybody here, do you want to become a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ? Do you want to be adopted into God's family? If that's you this morning, if I've been speaking to you, I'd, I'd just ask that you would simply raise your hand where you are and I would love to pray for you and with you. Yeah, I see your hand there. Thank you. Awesome. Awesome. I see your hand over there. Thank you. I see your hand up there, so thank you. Amazing, amazing decision to make. To say, yeah, I want to be adopted in. I want to be adopted into God's family. And I want to enjoy all of His benefits, in particular fellowship with Him. So church, out loud together with these people that have raised their hand. If you've raised your hand, you can lower your hand. Let's pray this prayer together. Heavenly Father, Heavenly Father, I welcome you into my heart today. I welcome you into my heart today. Thank you for your plans for me. Thank you for your plans for me. A plans that give me a future and a hope. Plans that give me a future and a hope. Plans that allow me to forget my past. Plans that allow me to forget my past. Father, I give you the control of my future. Father, I give you the control. Thank you for adopting me in. Thank you for adopting me in. Holy Spirit, guide me on this journey. Holy Spirit, guide me on this journey. I am now a Christian. I'm now a Christian. A follower of Jesus Christ. A follower of Jesus Christ. And everyone said amen, amen and amen. Let's give these people a hand this morning.